Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. I think it's good to take a look back at our lives and uh, the direction we were headed apart from Christ and to reflect on where we could have been and would have been without Him but he intervened in our lives by his grace. Through his son, he saved us from sin, from Satan, and from self. How thankful we can be. We've been looking at a man who is a prophet of the Old Testament. He was struggling He was surrounded by chaos and confusion, and that drove him to complain, and he was complaining to God. He was uh, crying out to God, basically saying, why aren't you doing something? How long are you going to wait before you respond or before you act? He was struggling with the kingdom of Judah and where it was headed, and He was struggling with the fact that God was going to bring judgment upon them through a pagan nation. It was confusing and chaotic for him. And I think all of us can relate to confusion and chaos. We've talked before how strange it is in a year that bears the numbers 2020 could create so much blurred vision in so many people's lives. you come to the end of chapter 2 of Habakkuk, he has said to God, I will stand my watch and see what you're going to say, and then I will prepare my cross-examination of you. But the way it ends, it transitions very well into the prayer that we're going to look at today. Verses 19 and 20 of chapter 2, it says, Woe to him who says to wood, Awake, to silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and in it there is no breath at all but the Lord. If we're not careful, we can rule the Lord out of our thinking, can't we? We're possibly not like people that worship an idol that are trying to get some inanimate object to perform something for them as is stated there. But there's just a vivid reminder there that our God is not like the false gods of the culture. They might not be made with hands as they were in the Old Testament world, but they are just as real. Gods of materialism, uh, out-of-control fleshly desires, pride, ambition, so many things that rage, but the Lord is. I just love that two-letter word, the Lord is. He lives in one eternal now, because he is beyond time, 
and space. He, he is. We refer to him as the God who was and the God who will be, but he just always is. That's the isness of God. He never changes. He never rearranges. He, he is always the same. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Speaking of his realm in heaven above the earth, let all the earth keep silence before him. So that's how God ends his response to Habakkuk. So we come to chapter 3, and that's where we're going to focus today. But as I've alluded to, Habakkuk begins in the valley of turmoil. But we're going to see that he ends on the mountain peak of thanksgiving. Does that mean that God brought him out of that valley? No. Everything that God showed him he was going to do as if it was already done is still going to happen. Bad circumstances were going to rage out of control, it seemed, around him. But in the midst of those circumstances, he was on the mountain peak of thanksgiving. Have you ever found yourself there? You were in a valley and you thought, I'll never get out of this. It's going to always be this way. It just gets deeper and deeper and darker and darker. I, I don't think I can survive this. But God, but the Lord is. And all of a sudden, that God who is breaks into your life. He reveals himself to you. He embraces you with his love and assurance. He gives you assurance about the future. And everything changes about you and nothing changes about what's around you. But now you are as if you were on a mountain peak looking down on your circumstances, giving thanks to God for what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. That's exactly where Habakkuk found himself. So we don't know the future. We have a God who has already experienced the future. It's all one eternal now for him, and we can trust him. So I want us to look at Habakkuk chapter 3 and look at some things that transpire in his heart that need to happen in our hearts when we find ourselves in that valley of turmoil, of chaos and confusion. So let's look at Habakkuk chapter 3. Beginning in verse 2. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand. 
and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people. For salvation with your anointed, you struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. You thrust, you thrust through with his own sword arrows the head of the villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones. And I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. Let's pray together. Father, those images of your judgment and your uh, wrath being poured out on that which is ungodly or startling and uh, overwhelming. Father, we thank you that amidst all of that, even to a greater degree perhaps than Habakkuk, we can have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray we would draw strength from Habakkuk's example today. I pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened but also be challenged to be witnesses for Christ in the culture in which you've placed us. And so, Father, I pray that you would please speak through me by your word. 
speak through your word, please, Father. Because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had an experience some of you perhaps have had, and that's where somebody you knew that you loved dearly was going through something that seemed impossible and there was no no hope. And you went to see them or they came to see you and their, their countenance was different. There was a, a lightness in their spirit. There was a, a peace that just radiated from their heart. And your first thought was, they must have gotten good news. And just the opposite was true. They didn't get good news about their circumstances. But they got a fresh look at God from his word. And it changed everything about them. To the point that they would say, If it takes all of that for me to know him better, I welcome that as his tool in my life. Let's think about Habakkuk together. How do you go from, when are you going to do something, God? How long are you going to delay to saying things like, whoa, uh, in your wrath, please remember mercy. And, and even if everything else falls away, I will trust you because you are my strength and my salvation. How does that happen in a person's life? Well, the, the journey is pretty clear here for us as we look back and uh, connect the dots here. First of all, there are times God moves us from resentful anger to reverential awe. Resentful anger to res- reverential awe. Look at verse 1, I mean chapter 1, verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear, even cry out violence and you will not save. He has this resentful anger about him. What he sees going on in Judah has just set him off. He is beside himself in anger and frustration, and he's expressing it to God. So he has this resentful anger that he's dealing with. And the reality is that's our default as human beings, isn't it? When the culture acts lost, doesn't sometimes cause you to resent the culture and become angry? And the reality is they're just being lost, ungodly people. That, that's their character, that's their nature. But as Habakkuk looks at the kingdom there in Judah and he looks at the people that, that should know God and should celebrate his works, they're living an open and defiant rebellion against him and he is just put out with it all. And he's wondering, God, why have you not done something? And the next thing we typically want to say, boy, they're fortunate I'm not God. And then we say something that makes no sense at all. 
we say, if I was God, I would act in direct opposition of my character. And I would respond emotionally. And I would unleash my fury. But then you move from that verse to chapter 3, verse 2, where he has a change of heart when he gets a glimpse of what is going to transpire. He says, Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. He moves from being angry to being afraid. Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In our days, revive your work, bring about your will. But he says, I I saw it and I was afraid. He, He moves from this selfish spite to compassionate sympathy on those to whom this judgment is coming and is certain. And then in verse 16, he says, When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself. He, he has a change of heart, doesn't he? he? He's just saying, God, let me know. Let me know. Tell me what you're going to do. I, I'll cheer you on. But the judgment of God is beyond our comprehension. The judgment of God is is beyond our understanding. I remember watching uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I remember that crazy moment when they they take the lid off of the ark and their faces begin to melt and all this craziness happens. And and I think that's horrible. And the reality is it's even worse to come under the judgment of God in reality. And so he says, I trembled. My bones were full of rottenness. I had no strength. My my voice quivered and trembled. And he is in awe of the power and the majesty and the presence of God. Sometimes we pray prayers like this. God... Come and defend your reputation. You know what we're really asking? God, would you come and manifest yourself to defend my reputation as yours, being your child? Would you do something so the world doesn't think we're crazy? Would you do something so the world will quit belittling us and uh, rejecting us and persecuting us? Would you just do something But then when God reveals what he will do to reclaim his reputation among the nations, it is overwhelming. And so he moves from this resentful anger to 
reverential awe of the God of all power. Then the second thing that happens that happens in our lives at times is God transforms our complaints of misery into cries for mercy. I've alluded to it in verse 2 of chapter 3, in wrath, remember mercy. In the midst of the outpouring of your wrath, he says, don't completely disregard the mercy that you have. I remember going through a season in my life years and years ago where there was someone, if I was for something, they were against it. If I was against it, they were for it. If I had an idea, it was a bad idea. If they had an idea, it was a great idea. And so I got before the Lord and I was praying and you can just hear how spiritual I was. Lord, I just want you to show me how to respond to somebody like How do you respond to somebody like this? Two words shoot into my mind. I didn't hear a voice or anything, but these two words came to mind. Mercy and grace. That startled me because I thought mercy means you don't give them what they do deserve and grace means you give them what they don't deserve. And have you ever groaned in your spirit toward God and argued with him? And I said, but they don't deserve mercy and grace. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. Neither do I. But God has poured out his mercy and his grace in my life. Not because of my goodness, but because of his graciousness and his greatness. God has delivered me not because of my ingenuity, but because of my inability. He he set me free from the penalty of the payment of my sin in Christ. It was his doing on my behalf. And when I am most like Christ... I have a desire to see mercy and grace happen in the lives of other people. And so Habakkuk is struggling. He's in misery, so to speak. He, uh, we lived in misery for about four years, and then we moved to back to New Mexico, but um, Missouri. Anyway, he's in misery but now he's pleading with God to remember his mercy. And here's the reality. God's judgment and mercy never separate. When God's judgment comes, if if people turn to him, they, they receive his mercy. They still experience the consequences of sin, yes. Some of those consequences of sin have to take their their course in a person's life even though they experience the mercy and the grace of God in Christ. But here he goes from these 
complaints of misery. I'm miserable, God, to God, please be merciful in the midst of this judgment and wrath that you are about to pour out. In the season we have been in this year, hasn't been, when you say a good word for all of this would be miserable, it's just kind of made us miserable. We feel guilty hugging one another. We feel guilty interacting with one another up close. And we, we are cautious because of the uh, possible ramifications of disease. And then we look at all the disaster that's happening around our nation. And then we, we look at the political chaos that continues to be swirling around. And, and in that, that miserable state of just uncertainty it's so easy to complain it's so easy to to grumble about things and to murmur about things and complain but I found it's always easier to complain than to really care and that's where Habakkuk moves to he moves from complaining to caring. Can you imagine what it would be like to live a life apart from God? I became a Christian at age nine. I don't know what it's like to be a lost adult. I don't know what it's like to deal with that emptiness of no hope and no help. I, I try to empathize with that. And, and for people to believe some of the things they do, that, that should be tormenting to them. And it probably is if they were honest with themselves. God never called us to critique them or criticize them. He calls, calls us to care for them. He doesn't call us to label them. He calls us to love them. And, and that's what Habakkuk is making that transition here. The, the very ones that he despises and the ones that seem farthest from God, he's saying, God, in your wrath, would you remember your mercy? Make your mercy available that they not perish in all of that. And what an image that is of the human heart and the struggle we have. But God can transform our complaints of misery into cries for mercy, and may he do that in our lives. But then the third thing that happens is God elevates perspective from frustrations to his faithfulness. His whole perspective changes. His, his eyes are raised upward. There's a, a picture in his mind. He begins to see who God is and, and what he does. His whole focus is taken off of him and put on the Lord. He moves from those personal pronouns to Second-person pronouns. Notice verse 3. It talks about God, His glory, 
His praise. Verse 4, His brightness, His hand, His power. Verse 6, He stood, He looked, His ways are everlasting. Then He's talking to God, Your anger, Your wrath, Your chariots, Your bow, Your arrows, You divided. It goes on and on about who God is and, and what God is doing. So his whole, his whole perspective is elevated from all of his frustrations onto God's faithfulness. His grumbling is turned to gratitude. And that gratitude begins with the word though in verse 17. Because he's no longer under his circumstances, but he has had his perspective elevated where he sees from God's vantage point, so to speak. He sees God's ways and his work and his will. He is overwhelmed with that, and his perspective is elevated to where he can say, even though this happens or that happens, the worst that I can imagine, if it happened, I would still have something to hold on to, and that would be him. What an amazing journey he went on. He moves from grumbling to gratitude, from frustration to focusing on God's faithfulness. I know when I get frustrated or I get discouraged, you know where I can really feel it? Right here in my neck. And I, I start to have this downward bent. If it's not physical, it's emotional, where you're kind of walking along kicking rocks. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go eat worms, wherever that came from. I go eat gummy worms if I get real depressed. I never ate a real worm. But you can just feel your your focus coming downward and becoming horizontal, can't you? When you listen to the news, you know what you get? Horizontal perspective. One phrase I'm, I'm so tired of hearing, we have to listen to science. Well, science is not all-wise and all-knowing and all-powerful. We have to listen to God. If we would listen to what God says, he would lift the coronavirus. The scripture implies in Leviticus 27, if we don't listen to what God is saying, he will up it seven times. But it's all horizontal. We've got to listen to the wisest people on the earth, and that's the scientists. Some of them who have no belief in God, I'm not saying all scientists are ungodly, but, but just that whole bent toward that. We, we've got to do this and do that. This is the remedy. The only hope we have is turning back to God. And that's what Habakkuk begins to see. It, it's not about them changing. It's not about them winning or us winning. It, it wasn't about... Judah versus the Babylonians. It was all about God reigning and ruling and being the conqueror of all. 
That was the image he got. And, and what happened was, it was as if God took his finger and put it under his chin and just said, look up. Just look up and see. I would say that would be a great thing for all of us to do. Watching the news right now is like watching a soap opera. In a soap opera, I understand that on Friday, you see somebody at the door. On Monday, they reach for the knob. On Tuesday, they begin to turn the knob. On Wednesday, they start to open the door. On Thursday, the door does come open. On Friday, they start to step in. On Monday, they are inside the room. On Tuesday, they turn and take the doorknob. On Wednesday, they start pulling the door closed. On Thursday, they close the door. On Friday, they lock the door and they turn. Do you know how much time you've wasted watching that door and that knob? Now, I know it's good to be informed, but you can be so informed that you become deformed in your thinking. Because when you are glued to the news, you are bombarded with a horizontal viewpoint. Who's going to win the election? You hear one side, yeah, it's a done deal. You hear another side, no, it's going to change. Who's in charge? Who's going to reign? Who's going to rule? God is. God is. And so, so I'm facing this challenge in my mind to have spending more time with my head raised vertically, thinking about God's rule and his reign and, and calling people to come to him than, than getting locked into this political soap opera that seems to be unending. And if we would put our face in this book instead of our eyes on Facebook, we would be set free from so much. Habakkuk, has God elevate his perspective from frustration to his faithfulness? Did you know God was reigning in the universe before there was the political parties of Democrats and Republicans? They haven't helped him a bit. Did you know that God was the God of the universe before there was a United States of America? He doesn't need our help. He will use us. He has used us, send missionaries around the world. But, but you know what's happening now? Hundreds and thousands of people are praying for the United States and they're sending missionaries here from other nations. God moves from one people to the next to, to reach his world and to extend his kingdom. He, he's not sitting back quivering and wondering how this is all going to play out so that the 
the nation that we live in will be once what it was. He, he's not caught up in all of that. That's all horizontal thinking. E- eternal God reality is that he still rules and he reigns and we are to still be salt and light where he's planted us. And wouldn't it be wonderful just to move in that journey from frustration to God's faithfulness? But I want you to notice one final thing that really captured my attention. I've emphasized it in the previous messages through Habakkuk, but, but notice verse 2 of chapter 1. Lord, how long shall I cry? Then notice verse 3. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. Then if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, even after God says, I'm going to show you some things, he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am reproved. You see the self-centeredness of all of that? But here's what I want you to notice at the end of the book here. God can cause our heart that is soured by personal pronouns of complaint to overflow with personal pronouns of commitment. You know what our greatest problem is? Not that we don't complain long enough or loud enough. The the problem is we're not committed deep enough to God. We don't have a complaining problem. I remember when we went to Israel, Deanna and I did. Someone graciously and lovingly enabled us to do that. When we went to Israel, I I got a a guide of uh, travel tips and all of that was immersing himself in that. There was a section in there, how to argue. And I thought, that's crazy. But that was part of the culture. There there was this arguing going on in the airport and I thought, "Mm, they must have read the same book I did. They learned how to argue. I I don't know. And so many times we're, we're so much better at complaining than committing our lives to Christ, letting him use us for his kingdom. So that's where Habakkuk was. You've made me to see this. I've experienced this. I'm going to tell you what I think when you tell me what you want to tell me. And after you reprove me, then I'm going to tell you what I have to say is basically what he's saying. But notice how the book ends. He's still using those same personal pronouns, but they've made a shift from complaint to commitment. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Isn't that a great picture there? Same personal pronouns, but a completely different perspective. No longer those personal pronouns pronouns of complaint, but they are pronouns of commitment. Though all of this happens, yet I will trust in the Lord. He's expressing the, the deepest depth of gratitude that you can express to God, and that is you are so grateful for who he is, you're so grateful for what he's done, that you're just going to trust him. Isn't that amazing? Trust produces thanksgiving. And thanksgiving produces trust. When I trust him and he works in my life or I I reflect on how he's worked and I give him thanks, that builds my trust. And And it brings me to a deeper commitment of my life to him because that trust that I have erupts in thanksgiving and when that thanksgiving erupts it it builds in deeper depths of trust in my life you remember when jesus asked the disciples where is your faith you remember that they come and wake him up he's in the ship with them the storm's raging they're all scared to death and they come and wake him and they say master do you not care that we are all perishing while you're sleeping? And he asked them a question. Where is your faith? I'm telling you, if your faith is in anything other than the person of Jesus Christ and his eternal character and his eternal rule and reign, you are in for a rocky ride that ends in a deadly dead end. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? One commentator said this, when all is gone, God is not gone. Joy in God is never out of season. It is in a special manner seasonable when we meet with losses and crosses in the world that it may then appear that our hearts are not set upon these things, nor our happiness bound up in them. What a good word. What a good word. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, it says in Colossians 3. Keep your eye on the cross. If you've trusted Christ and you've put your faith and trust in his death on your behalf as the sinless sacrifice, and and if you put your faith and trust in his resurrection and the power that raised him from the dead dwells in you and, and you have turned from your sin to Christ and you are 
putting your faith in him at salvation, you can do that till you take your last breath on this earth. He is worthy of your trust and your faith and your commitment. And it never changes. Hold on to the cross. Hold on to the cross. There's a story I've told before, I know, but it bears being repeated. There was a lady living in a nursing home who loved the Lord Jesus Christ. As a young lady, she had committed her life to Christ. She had spent her life reading God's Word consistently. Her Bible was well-worn. Actually, her Bible was falling apart and her life wasn't because of that. She had committed Scripture to memory. She loved talking about Jesus. But the reason she was in the nursing home is she had developed some dementia. Early on, it wasn't horrible. But as you know, any mental disease like that is tormenting not just for the person that has it, but for the family. It's a gradual grief of always hoping today's going to be better and they'll be back. There in the nursing home, she would quote scripture, just randomly quote scripture. That was all she could remember. And, and, and I don't know if you've been around people with dementia or Alzheimer's that were believers, but I'm telling you that is one of the greatest blessings. They might not remember what room they're living in. They might not remember their name. They might not know what day it is. But you start singing, Amazing grace. You don't get through with grace before they're singing with you. They know every word. Then if you're quoting scripture or reading scripture and you start reading John 3.16, for God, so, and they're, they're saying it with you. And after they sing or after the verse, they just kind of go back. It's kind of where this lady was. She would just quote these scriptures over and over and over. Finally, her memory got so bad that she could only remember one verse and she said it over and over all the time. It was a portion of 2 Timothy 1.12. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have entrusted to him against that day or until that day. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have entrusted to him until that day. And she would just say that over and over. That's all she could remember. That was her only verbal response. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what I have committed to him until that day. Her memory got worse. 
part of the verse left. He is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Over time, that got shorter. What I have committed to him until that day. Until finally, those final days of her life, it shrunk to one word. She went through every day just saying this one word. Him. 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 And the reality was, not only was that all she could remember, but that was all she really needed. If you come to the end of your life and you have him, you have everything you'll ever need. If you come to your life without him, you have wasted every second, every breath, every step because you did it without him. So the question today is, do you know him? And if you know him, is it changing the way you respond to circumstances? And if you don't know him, you cannot even imagine the horror that awaits you in eternity. And I plead with you, come to know him, Jesus Christ. Come to him. He can give you hope when life is hopeless. It's just not the benefits of the gospel. Because of his grace and his glory, he has done everything he can to redeem you and to spare you from an eternity separated from him. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.